welcome to the week one of the Family Feud here. We're excited about it, and we are also excited about something that's happening in a little over a month. On August 20th, we have Serve Seabus, and that is a, a week, a seven-day-long um, opportunity for our church to serve Columbus. There's tons of opportunities every single day, so we want you to mark your calendars now. Get that on your radar so that you can make some time to actually reach out and help in some of the areas that we have found that uh, need a lot of help around our city. So we want uh, 100% participation in this. That's, that's our goal is to have 100% of you who call this place home serve Cebus. And um, speaking of, uh, of conflict, there's been an argument in the office all week long between myself and um, other people, including Carmen, uh, mainly Carmen, and, well, John, John, too, saying that it serves Seabus because it's Columbus, but when you say Columbus, you say is, so you don't say, welcome to Columbus, Ohio, you say Columbus, so we're arguing over whether it serves Seabus or serves Seabus, so raise your hand if it's Seabus, well, you guys are all stupid, okay? Obviously, you don't understand the nature of conflict because it's definitely your problem, not mine. Um, when we talk about feuding and we talk about fighting, uh, th this, this whole series is going to be just an opportunity for every single one of us to take a step in the direction of having healthy conflict and understanding why conflict happens the way it does. And as Carmen shared, uh, families feud. It's just what happens. Families feud. They fight. They get into these conflicts with one another. And it's not just families that do that. It's teams that do that. It's uh, organizations that have uh, different teams, employees, employer relationships often end or have a lot of conflict. And so everywhere we go, we see or we experience conflict. And sometimes that conflict is the big kind of explosive conflict that can cause, um, you know, companies to, to end or to split or teams to lose or families to um, have great heartache or, or to have uh, to great divorce or, or all kinds of things. And sometimes it's just a conflict that exists in, in your heart, something that's going on that's, that's small but just kind of smoldering and it kind of continues to cause friction at your, in your home or in a relationship or with a friend. And we often all go through some level of conflict. And when we talk about families feuding, like one of the reasons that I can say that's true is because it's just true of, of my family. I mean, the week that a pastor does a, a conflict series, you better believe that I, I have a fight with my wife. And like it just, it, it all starts, and then I'm like, oh no, like this can't happen because I'm a pastor and I'm gonna teach everyone about conflict, and then the, the water starts boiling, 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 and then of course it gets too bad. I'm like, I'm doing a series on this. And I mean, legit, I mean, Katie and I had this big fight. She's not even here today because we had such a big fight. Just kidding, I mean, she's right there. It's, um, uh, awkward, part of what we're gonna do with this series is a little bit of vulnerability, but it's true, I, we did get in a fight, and, and it, it hit me right between the eyes, it hit me right in the heart. Man, like, what is going on that, that even when I'm trying to teach and lead, there's conflict, and the reality is, is that families feud. Even this morning, as I was leaving the house, two of the kids were on the couch, and literally one kicked the other one, and I went over and I'm like, you guys are brothers. You guys are brothers, you're, you're siblings. And it's just the tension of families feuding is the fact that families feud and we all think and feel like, shouldn't families not feud? Like, right, like, 
we understand like countries at war, and we understand like neighbors, and we understand teams and, and com- competing organizations, and the people across the street, and all that stuff. But man, family, the same team, the same company, that's where the, that's where the conflict stops, right? That's where it should go away, right? Because when, when you enter into a relationship with someone, it's like, man, we're on the same page. But the reality is, is that when you get close with people, it creates conflict. I mean, that's what happens is closeness actually brings conflict. It breeds conflict because what you have is you have people who are broken and have their own issues and they can live on an island for a while, but then once they're under the same roof or working in the same office or on the same team, then boom, conflict starts to happen. And I, so I know fam, families feud because my family feuds and, and your family feuds and growing up my, my family would feud. I have some, even a, a brother that's right here in the front row, uh, right over here. And one time we were in Myrtle Beach and uh, I was on the beach just kind of looking and I looked out and waist high in the ocean, Brent and my brother Jake were like standing in the ocean literally just like exchanging blows. And, like, I was the kid that, like, hated conflict. Like, I was just, I'd start crying. Remember? Isn't that true? I'd just start crying. Just like, please, they're fighting. They're hurting each other. And, like, I mean, it was not, like, no joke, man. Like, and, and, and they would just literally punch each other in the face. And I'm like, we're, we're family. I was the, like, guy that coined the whole, like, can't we all just get along? Like, that was me. I was the kid that, like, cared about that. And then, like, one time my brothers were all out playing basketball at my grandma's house, and they just started fighting. And my brother Gabe, my older brother Gabe, he's, like, weird, strong, and flexible. Like, he has, like, these tendons that, like, he's, like, real lanky and thin, but, like, he's real muscular and, like, he can, like, he can, like, his muscularity, his strength is in his tendons, and he was, he's like double jointed or triple jointed where he can like take his legs and put them over his head and walk around on his hands. And it, like he used to do this, the family entertainment. Be like, Gabe, walk on your hands. What are you doing? Like it was just like crazy. Well, him and Jake, one time my grandma's got in this fight and my brother Gabe, he, his grip was so tight because of kind of the way he, he was like put together that he wouldn't like punch you in the face or like kick you. He would grab you and wrap himself around you with his legs like venom or something and he would like grab a piece of exposed, exposed like just flesh and just twist it until it bruised and bled. And so it was like when I'd come home and see like Jake with like a mark on his side, I'd be like, well, Gabe got a hold of you, man. Like, like my family would fight and of course like It's not always like explosive fights. It's not always like actually fist fights. You know, there's all kinds of verbal exchanges and things that happened in my family growing up. And there was, of course, conflict. And and in my family, I remember the the moment where like my parents told me, you know, they were going to get a divorce. And obviously, like... (laughs) All of that came from somewhere. There was some major conflict, and, and then that blew up. And all of us experience a level of conflict, and we, we struggle with seeing that it happens in places where we would hope that it would get better. In fact, what, what happens typically is we all think that when we get close to people that it's going to get better. We all think that. Um, I do marriage counseling a lot. I'll do premarital counseling, and we have this, this state-of-the-art assessment that couples take. And it's fascinating, every single time these couples take this test, it does this one assessment called um, uh, 
idealistic distortion. And what it is, is it's an assessment of rose-colored glasses about the relationship. So what it tells you is whether or not you see the relationship in a realistic way or not. And 99% of the time, every single couple that is going into a marriage relationship, they, they see their relationship through rose-colored glasses. They're like 60 is normal and they're all 80, 90 which means they see their relationship more positively than it actually is. Because when you take the other questions and you put it together, what we see is that there's major conflict on family roles. There's major, major conflict on, on what communication or how to actually resolve conflict or how to handle the finances. And so oftentimes I'm sitting with people at the beginning going, you guys know you have more problems than you, you know. They're like, what? I'm like, don't freak out. It's better. Let's talk about this. But I don't sit with a lot of couples premarital and talk about how to resolve their conflict. I'm telling them about the conflict that's coming down the road because I know that it's coming. And then I sit with those families that are broken up and destroyed and there's conflict and it's brutal. And ultimately, it can get to that place where we look at conflict and we think, well, you know, I don't have conflict. And maybe you're in the room today and you're like, you know, I've I, I don't have, Joel, what you're talking about. I don't have the fist fights and, you know, the divorce and, you know, my kids are great. And maybe you're sitting there doing that. And that's great for you if that's where you are and maybe you figured out conflict. But for some of us, what happens with conflict is we actually have had so much or our personalities don't like it that we just avoid people altogether. And so there's a lot of people who have stuff going on and they just, instead of dealing with it, they just are passive. And so then they just kind of actually still cause a different kind of conflict where relationships are broken down. You're just actually not having all the fireworks. But how many people in the room have an estranged friend? Something happened, now it's broken up because I don't want more conflict. How, how many people in the room have that estranged family member? Just someone that you, you used to be really close with, but you had a moment, you had a falling out, conflict happened, and now you don't have it. And ultimately, sometimes it's just because the conflict went so bad that you can't recover it. But a lot of times it, it, it's because we look at that conflict and maybe we think they're wrong or, or, or we did something wrong or whatever it is. But sometimes it's, you know, I don't want more conflict. And ultimately, closeness brings conflict. And so if you don't want to have any conflict or you're going to get away from conflict altogether, you're going to like completely end relationships. You know, no relationships, no, no conflict. And so ultimately, relationships make conflict. It's like a breeding ground for conflict. And so during this series, what I want to talk about is where does that all come from? And how do we manage that? And what's a better way to go through this? Because one of the things that I know is that everyone in this room is struggling with a level of conflict, some level of conflict. Ask the New Albany police, ask Columbus City police what the number one phone call is. You know what it is? Domestic violence. What does that mean? That means that there are behind closed doors, and one of the reasons I was so passionate about starting this church is I grew up in a family, families feud, families have conflict, and I cared about whatever it was that God could do in my life and through my life and into your life to reach beyond the front door and into that room and into that family room or into that, that room and, and actually make a difference on that conflict because I believe that Jesus can help us through that conflict. But what it means with this, this 
statistic in terms of domestic violence phone calls is that those are the conflicts that get so bad that someone gets physically hurt or verbally abusive or emotionally and the, and the police get called. Well, what that means is that the water has boiled over on to the stove and on the floor and now we've got to call and get outside help because people's lives, emotional uh, uh, situation is, is in danger now. Okay, that's when they call the police. But, you know, how many of us are in here today, maybe, maybe that is our situation and, and this is all too familiar for you, but also there's those of us in the room who, who you know, the, the, the water, it starts to boil and maybe we've learned to kind of, okay, back it back down. And it's never gotten there. But I mean, how many of us maybe have been close to that? How many of us have gotten to that place where instead of domestic violence, you know, it's divorce or you get fired or you leave your job or the team loses and it just gets really, really bad. All of us have a level of conflict. And so my heart in this is to just truly be vulnerable with you and lead us through what this all means because this applies to all of us, and I think we can do better, and I think when we figure out this area of our life, we become the lights, we become the people that God has called us to be, the families, the teams, the organizations, when we can figure out how to have healthy conflict and what it's all about. If you're in the room today and, and, and you, you've done a lot of work on conflict, you've actually worked through it, and maybe you don't have much, and maybe you, you look in the past and you go, I've you know, I, I, we've dealt with that. And you're listening to what I talk about over the next couple of weeks and you, you've heard it before. Would you please not disengage from what we're doing? Because we need you here. We need you here. We need you to stay in this room if you've worked through conflict. And we need you to pray for the people in this room. Because at some level or another, there's so many of us that are, are experiencing that conflict. And maybe you've gotten to that place where there's you know, kind of tranquil waters. But we actually really, really need you to stay engaged and not, not be a part and just pray. Every time you come in here, would you just sit in here and pray for people who are going through conflict, people who are struggling so much? One of the, the values that we have as a, a church staff is something that sounds a little counterintuitive, but it's this phrase that we talk about called run towards the tension or recently it's, it's been changed to dance towards the tension because you don't need to run towards the tension. It's there, but dance towards it. Let's not be hungry for conflict. Let's figure out how to handle it well and that's what this series is about. We're gonna dance towards the conflict. We're gonna talk about what we're dealing with and I'm gonna share with you as vulnerably as I can what God has done in my life in this area and I, I hope that it's very, very helpful. One of the things that we can get overwhelmed with is this idea of families having conflict and how we, how we manage it. And one of the things that can bring a little bit of settling, a little bit of peace in this is to understand that your family is not the only family that feuds and, uh, and other families have been feuding for a really long time. And when we look at the scriptures, we actually see that the first family, the very first family fought a lot. And when we read the story of the first family who God put on this earth, we see conflict. And in that story, we see kind of the roots of conflict and things that happen. And what you'll see is that what happens in their world is the same thing that happens in our world all the time, even today. And so there is a human problem. There's a systemic issue with conflict. And uh, we're going to look at its origin. And then we're going to talk about the first step of dealing with it today. In the, in the garden... After God created the heavens and the earth, 
He created male and he created female and he made them husband and wife and he put them in the garden and he gave them everything. And you know the story. They lived in paradise. They had authority. They had dominion. They had all their needs supplied. They, 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 um, they had the animal life and they had food and they had all their needs taken care of. And God told them that they could really do anything they want and just kind of go and, and overwhelm and lead and develop and, and grow the earth and, and be authoritative over it. But you couldn't eat from this one tree or this one fruit from this one tree. And you know how the story goes. At one point in Genesis chapter 3, Eve, she's by this fruit and a serpent, a deceiver comes along and says, you should eat that fruit. And he lies to her and tells her that what the fruit will do is different than what God said it would do. And says it will make you wise and, and you'll be like God. And so she's overwhelmed by that possibility because she understands who God is. And, and in that we see that God and man and, and, and female, they have this relationship already. And so now comes in this fourth character that starts to deceive and split up this, this relationship that exists. And she sees that the fruit is appealing and, and beautiful. And she sees now that it might make her wise. And so she eats it and then she gives it to her husband and he eats it. And then what happens is as soon as they eat the fruit, as soon as they do it, they, they realize they did something wrong. And the way the scriptures say it is it says they realize they were naked. They realize that something changed. And the picture is that, you know, they, they had this certain aura about them, and now they realize that they're broken. Now they realize something is wrong. And it's, it's a commentary, a whole other talk on just the nature of how we feel and experience life when we do the thing that God has not called us to do. And it happens to all of us. And in this one, they realize, oh man, something changed and something's not right. And so what, that, what happens is, is that God, he actually comes walking to see them and it shows us that they have a relationship with God. That he's there and he comes looking for them and they hear him and it picks up in Genesis chapter three, it says this, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God Kind of amazing, right? They hear him coming. I don't know if he shows up on a horse or, you know, I, I don't know what he does. He's walking through the water or they know he's there or maybe he's calling their name. Adam, Eve, Adam, Eve, where are you? The sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And it says that they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hide. So what you see is in the first family, there was feuding. There was fighting right away. And immediately, they, they don't play the family feud. They play, the, they, they play hide and seek. <laughs> first game of hide and seek was between God and the first humans on earth. They hide. And God's like, why are you hiding? And this is what we do. This is what we do. And this is honestly like one of the keys to getting through conflict. And we're going to wrap up today with this idea. Is that when you are in conflict or when you are in sin or when you are in trouble our knee-jerk reaction is to hide from God. We think that God is the last place we want to go. We, we don't think we're supposed to go to God. And God shows us, well, that couldn't be further from the truth. He moves towards us. He already knows what they did. He's trying to get them to see what they did. He knows what they did, and he goes towards them in the cool of the day. He calls out their name, and they hide from him because they don't want... God to see what they have done and they don't want, they don't want that exposure and they don't, they don't want that. And God's like, I know and the last place you wanna go is away from me because I'm the only solution you've got. When you're in conflict, when you're, when you're in sin, when you're in trouble, whatever that is, 
The last thing you want to do is hide from God. That's not a game that you want to play. And so God interacts with them. He goes, what, what are you hiding from me? What, what are you doing? Why, who told you you were naked? Who told you you were in trouble? How did this all happen? And then, of course, the next game starts to get played. This is what Adam says. He says, then the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And so immediately what we see is the next game, we have hide and seek, and then it turns into the blame game. The blame game. I mean, the first thing he does is Adam blames God. God, the reason that we're in trouble is because of you. Conflict. I mean, can you just imagine? This is the first family, and God is with them. They did the one thing that they're not supposed to do. I mean, how, what does this sound like? This sounds like your family, right? And then immediately, closeness brings conflict. Here we are. We're together. You did the one thing you're not supposed to do, and now it's God's fault. And Adam actually goes on, and his whole language here, the woman, he's blaming his wife. Here we go. My problems are God's problems, and my problems are your problems. The blame game. I mean, how many of us are sitting in the room today just married, and we know, we know that the reason for our conflict or something we did wrong is not our fault, it's our spouse's. Raise your hand. We know. We know it was someone else's fault. We know it was her fault. She knows it was your fault. All of us continue from the beginning, it's been this way. When we are in conflict, when we are in trouble, when there is something going on, to push the blame somewhere else. And so, here it is. You have the blame game, and of course what you would think is that this couple, that they would break up. You know, that this would be the end. I mean, what a conflict. It's, it's Adam versus Eve versus God, and there's this conflict. And God, ultimately, he does punish them. And he curses them. And you might think, well, that's bad. It's not a curse that you, you would think of. It's not like a Disney movie where you're cursed and you need a kiss and you have to. It's actually the word curse in, in the original language means the word obstacle. And so what it is actually is that the fact that they've sinned has made life harder for them. That's, that's what the author is trying to say. Now, now you guys have sinned. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And now you're going to experience all this pain and you're going to have to work really, really hard. And it's just this isn't what I wanted. This is not what I wanted conflict between the first family. You'd think it would go away, right? You'd think they, they got their punishment and that they would pass along what they've learned about how to behave and love and be to their kids. But that's not what happens. Just like in every family, we, we, don't, we don't figure it all out. We pass on these, these broken traits to our, to our kids and we watch that happen and it breaks our heart. And of course it gets a little worse in this story because then they have two boys, Cain and Abel, and apparently in the story, they were bringing something to God. And Abel brought something to God, and it was pleasing to God. And then Cain brought something to God, and for some reason it wasn't pleasing to God. And there's a lot of wonderful commentaries about what that is, and it has to do with worship and sacrifice, and actually it's all about Jesus, to be honest with you. But one is okay and one's not, and of course that makes, that makes Cain really jealous. That makes Cain really angry. And so then... This is the next part. This is the kids of Adam and Eve. The first family fought a lot. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. Next time your kids are in a fight and the one says, hey, can we go play football? Watch out. 
They might have some other plans. This is what happened. I mean, you can read this story a lot of different ways. The way that I read the story is, you know, he's like, hey, let's go out to the field. And I think it's like a wrestling match. You know, families feud. They fight. They do these things. And I think that Abel fought back. And I think it got out of hand. And then, of course, this game, now we've already had, you know, hide and seek. And then we have the blame game. And this is the first game of Clue. Because what happens is Cain comes back and his parents are like, where's your brother? And he's like, well, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I'm not my brother's keeper. The, you know, the butler in the library did it. Family's feud, man. Sorry. Did you like my joke at all? Like, I'm sorry. And this is what we do, right? Family's feud. We, we hide from God. We blame others. We disassociate ourselves from the problem. We all feud. It all happens. Large, small, medium. We watch it happen in our schools. We watch it happen in our organizations. We watch it happen on teams. And we experience it in our families. And so where I want to land this today is, is not to solve it, because we're going to go through four weeks of, of what, it, what this is all about, but to just start to ask the first question about this conflict. And that is its origin. Why do families feud? Why does this happen? Like you're in it. What's going on? What's the root cause? Because if you were with Adam and you sat down with Adam and you, you asked him questions about why there was conflict, he would say, well, I was just hanging out with the turtles and she brought this fruit over and I didn't even know. And I just ate it and then we looked naked and it was her fault and then God came along and I'm like trying to help God. She did it. You put her here, it's your fault, come on, deal with it. And a lot of us would sit there and go, you know, he makes a really good point. I mean, he makes a really, it's solid, Adam, nice work, buddy, because we all can kind of connect with his answer, because that's what we do. And nonetheless, the conflict persists. So the question is, okay, where does this really all come from? Where does hide and seek and the blame game and, and clue, where does, it all, where does all this come from? Where does all these conflicts come from? What, what's the root cause? And the brother of Jesus, who was one of the leaders of the first church in, in Jerusalem after Jesus ascended, he actually answers a part of where the conflict comes. And what he talks about is not the root of all kinds of conflict and where it all happens, but he talks about a major piece because of some of the things that are happening in the first church. And it's the same old story in the first church. You would think first church, closest to Jesus, they saw this thing, they, they witnessed um, these disciples doing miracles and, and they, they, they knew eyewitnesses of Jesus and some of them even saw Jesus and some of them were brothers of Jesus, half-brothers of Jesus. And you would think, man, this is the place where probably they got it all figured out and there's no conflict. And actually what we see is that in the first church there was enormous conflict. And James wants to lead the first church through this conversation about where conflict comes from. And he starts out by this. And he just does this brilliant thing at the very beginning. He says, what causes the quarrels and fights among you? And I just want you to stop. Th this is everything. What's the cause? Wh why is this happening? And, and if your answer all the time is them, God, not my problem, you haven't answered the question. Not accurately. 
He's asking, what, what's causing this? If every single one of us would, would, whenever we're in a conflict, if we would actually take the time to back up and be like, what is the root of this conflict going on? What is going on? What, where is the tension? What's the driver? What is it? Instead of just blame game, hide and seek, not my fault, God's fault, my circumstances, whatever it is, woe is me, what's the cause? What's the real cause? When's the last time you were in a conflict and instead of making it their problem or blaming them or running from the problem, you actually stopped and went, what's going on? Why are we fighting? Why? You start to ask this question in any interaction, even just to yourself, and conflict's going to start to change. And the, and the brother of Jesus knows this to the church. Why? Doesn't this sound like parents? I mean, the other day I walk around the corner and Kellen throws his helmet on the ground and the kids are in the, you know, on, on the swing set and there's this huge conflict and it's the first thing. What's going on? Why, why, are you, why are you fighting? And I did it, right? Your brothers, your friends, your neighbors. We wiped all your butts. Why are you fighting? Maybe you, in your work, working on a project, aren't we on the same team? Don't we have the same goal? You guys are both, you get the same bonus, you get the same, why are you fighting? What is the root cause? If you know the answer to this question, you're ahead of so many people. Because you know why. And you cannot solve this type of thing until you understand what's driving me. And so James brilliantly asks the question, what is it? So I just want you to think right now, you have a conflict. What's the cause? What's the cause? How would you write it down in one sentence? What's the cause? He goes on and asks another question. He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Just, just look at what he does here. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Now, when he's talking to the church, he's saying, the word you is plurality of people, multiple, you people are all fighting. But at the same time, he's making a point that the battles that are among you, they come from within you. Wait a minute. So there's a battle among people. Where does that come from? Doesn't it come from the battle inside of you? Wait, so battle, what's another word for battle? Conflict. So wait a minute, you have a conflict with people. James goes, let me ask you a question. Do you think for a second that maybe your conflict with people is about a different conflict that's taking place? Maybe there's a different conflict that's taking place. And maybe it's not just what you want or don't want in people groups. and Maybe there's something going on inside of every individual. And then it's a letter, so they just keep reading. Imagine reading this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? You start playing the blame game. God, this, that, that, that. Doesn't it come from the battle inside of you? Me. Couldn't be me. I don't have a battle in me. If they stopped, if he didn't, if she wasn't, no conflict. Wait a minute. What about you? What about you? Look what he goes on. He says, you desire, but you don't have. So you kill. 
I mean, this is powerful right here because in the first church there was actually a murder. And something happened where someone wanted something, had a desire, and the word desire in this context is this idea of twisted desires. Desires that are messed up, they're deformed desires. And so ultimately, a desire inside of one person led to a murder. You know where most murders take place? In between family members, in between coworkers. Closeness brings conflict. So you got something going on in you, and if you don't figure out what's going on in you, that's gonna spill out into what's going on around all of you. You better figure out you. You better figure out you. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. Read this again. But you cannot get what you, everybody say this next word, want. So you quarrel and you fight. Just put it this way. The conflict that's going on around you, that you're right in the middle of, it's not about the conflict that's going on around you. It's not about your wife. It's not about your kids. Sometimes other people are to blame and they bring the conflict. But when, where you sit, as far as you're concerned, if you're in that fight and you're driving that fight or you're part of that fight, what James says is this. It says conflict with others it really comes from conflict with yourself. And that you have something going on inside of you that you want, that you desire. And that desire is so big that it spills over into the world around you. And when you don't get what you want, and when you don't get what you feel you need, or you don't get what you deserve, or your pride doesn't get satisfied, or your, your past doesn't get satisfied, or your ego, or whatever it is, and sometimes it's legit stuff, it's trauma, it's brokenness, and you have this need, and I need that, and if they don't do that, it's like pressing a bruise, and now I blow up. But ultimately what he's doing is he's going, it's you. This is you, this is a you problem. Stop making it a them problem. Stop hiding from God. Don't run from him. And don't play the blame game because this is about you, Adam. This is about you. Several years ago, and he's not here today, but one of our partners is Kenny Sipes and he's, he runs the Roosevelt. And he was the youth director at the church I worked in in Jersey, Jersey Baptist Church. And I was the worship pastor there for three and a half years. And... Uh, when I got there, before I actually was given the job, given the job, before I got the job, I told them I'm supposed to start a church in New Albany. And so they kind of limited my role to, to being the, the worship guy because, you know, he's going to go do these other things. And, 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 and that was the, the decision that was made. And ultimately, um, I was called to be a pastor when I was 12 years old and, 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 and had all these big ideas and all this stuff. And so... Uh, one day, with all these big ideas, I went into Kenny's office. Kenny's the youth director. And just kind of coyly, and I didn't really understand what, what was happening. I wasn't very aware. I wasn't certain of my motivations. I started to poke and prod at what Kenny was doing. Hey, you know, Kenny, like, with the students, why are you doing this? And why do you take them here? And why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? And why don't we see this happen? And ultimately, I started to come after him a little bit, and it caused a conflict. 
Kenny and I got in this fight. He's like, dude, you're coming after me. Like, you're, you're, the, you're, this, you're the worship guy. Like, I'm over here. I, he was there for longer than me. And I came in, as you can imagine, very humbly. I came in there with guns blazing and all these ideas. And so it caused a conflict. And ultimately, we had to go see mom and dad at work. We had to go see Keith, the guy that ran the church. Not the lead pastor, but the guy, that, the, the executive pastor. And we sat there, and, and Keith went, Joel, what's, what, what are we here for? And I went, well, I'm sharing this with them, and sharing this with them, and doing this, and telling them this, and we should do this, and da 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 And I kind of like gave out all my, my big, beautiful ideas. And Keith looked at me, and he goes, okay. And he looked at Kenny, and he goes, Kenny, what do you have to say to that? And Kenny, he didn't answer any of my ideas. He didn't, he didn't appease me. He didn't, he didn't tell me to be quiet. He didn't fight with me. He did one of the most beautiful things that's ever been done for me. He looked at me, and he caught right, caught right to the heart, right to the issue. He looked right at me, and he said this. What do you want? What do you want? And I literally, like, the whole time I was thinking, like, no, we're not talking about what I want. I'm talking about what you should want. But then I was stunned. What do I want? Because this whole conflict, when I look back now, you know why? I wanted to preach. I wanted to be more involved in leadership. I was frustrated. I wanted to have influence, and I wanted to have impact, and I very ignorantly thought that I could go in and start poking holes at someone's ministry or their work and their department thinking that that would cause the involvement but really all it was is that I had these desires to be more involved and therefore my wants spilled out my desires to elevate me to get my needs met to make it all about me those desires spilled into conflict into a church and that changed me because I realized, regardless of what I want, this isn't supposed to be the result. Not all of our wants are bad. Some of them are good, some of them are great. But what can happen is your desires, they can be twisted. And when they're twisted, you can figure out before what they are and self, self kind of evaluate. Or you can wait until those twisted desires result in conflict and get to the point where you have to go, now I have a lot to clean up. So here, here's what I want to do. I, I just want to take a minute, and I want to lead us to this one piece. And I want everyone to answer this one question. What do you want? What do you want? You know, a lot of times we come to church, and it's like, we're not going to be real, right? I mean, we do church. And we have to act like we belong at church, right? I mean, you got to act like you belong at church. We're associated with Jesus, and, and we have to have order, and we don't have to, you know, act and behave. And, and, and we don't want to talk about what is really going on. But ultimately, that's such a tragedy because so many of us are struggling with so much conflict in so many ways that we need this place to be a different kind of a place. We need this place at times to be a place where we can actually do some soul cleansing. We can understand some answers. We can walk out of here feeling fresh. And one of the ways you're going to walk out feeling fresh is coming face to face with this question so that you can get to the why of the conflict in your life. I'll be the first to admit that there's a couple areas in my life 
where I have conflict that's not healthy. It's not good. It's not right. I, and, and, and I want to confess that today. I want to ask God to forgive me. I want to ask him to change me. And so would you guys, like, join me in, in this kind of moment of, of humility here? Would you raise your hand right now if you just have any conflict in your life that you know is probably not, not healthy? Just raise your hand. Yeah. And would you do this for me? I want everyone in the room to stand up. And, and actually, not for me. You're doing this for you. Stand up, please. And, and we did this at the first service, and it was really powerful. And what I want to ask you to do right now is if you have some conflict in your life that you know is unhealthy, and it's coming from an unhealthy desire, an unhealthy place, whatever it is that you want that's spilling out, would you join me up here? Just step out right now. Just step out and come up front here. And I just want you to see how many people are struggling with conflict for different reasons and different times. And I want to help us get through it together. I want to give us something new, something fresh that has helped me. And the first service, I, you know, I, I'll do it again. I, I step down here because I'm, I'm with you all. I'm here with you. Like there, there's areas in my life where I have conflict and, and, and you're not alone. And if you're sitting in the room and you're in the back there, like, and you haven't, you don't want to come face to face with this, you know, maybe you're afraid that if you walk out, you'll, it'll cause more conflict <laughs> because, you know, whatever, someone might see you. But like, you know, church, this is a place for people to be honest. Be honest. We're supposed to love one another and care for one another, and yet we're supposed to not be honest about our conflict. Here's the deal. Um, I want to show you something. And I want to show you how beautiful this can be for your life if you really take this to heart. When you come up here, the first thing you're doing is you're, you're taking apart, you're dismantling the first, the first thing that Adam and Eve did, which is hiding. You know, coming up here says, I'm not hiding from you, God. I'm coming towards you, God. I'm coming towards you. I need you. This is the step. This is a step you have to take every single day. This is the opposite of hide and seek. This is, I'm here, God. Ollie, Ollie, auction free. I'm here. I need your help. I, I'm broken. I have my problems. And so, Thank you for coming up forward, and I want this to be the beginning of a totally different way of engaging your conflict and whatever's going on in you. One of the things that I've had to do with our son, my son Kellen, is, is incredible. He's just full of life, and he's full of, 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 uh, of, he's sweet, and he has such a caring mind, and he's, he's, he's got talents and, and all these things, but he, he gets fixated on something. You know, he likes to get a new LeBron James jersey, and he gets fixated, and he wants the new LeBrons for his birthday, and he gets fixated on it. And ultimately, it causes conflict because of something that he wants, and it's a simple example. But one of the things that I've started to do with him when we go to bed is I've taught him a passage of Scripture that anyone can memorize, and you can memorize it right now, and if you me it will change your life. And in this passage of Scripture, it answers every question you have about the source of conflict and how to deal through it. Just the source. And it's one of the most popular passages of scripture of all time, but what happens is usually we read, we just keep reading past it. But this passage, I had him memorize just the first verse, the first sentence, 
And it says everything about what you guys came forward for. It's Psalm 23, and it says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I want everyone to say that with me. If you're up here and in the back, just say that. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Can you memorize that? You see, what this is, what this verse will do for you is when you start to every single day know that God is a shepherd and that he wants to lead you to what you need and what your greatest desires are. And what we all do without understanding who the shepherd is is we shepherd our own souls. And we let what we want drive us to what we think will fill us. And it won't. And then we're left wanting. And what happens in this verse means if you let God be your shepherd, if you let God fill you daily, if you come to him and don't hide, if you actually let him be daily bread, if you actually pour your heart out to him and ask for forgiveness and go to him with your wants, God, I have all these wants, will you be my shepherd and fill these wants? And what you'll, ha- what you'll see happen is you'll see these desires go down and then conflicts start to fade because God has taken his rightful place and so I just want to pray for you guys would you just say this out again the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want just say it I just want to pray for you and would everyone just please join me in prayer let's pray father I thank you for this brave group of people who didn't decide to just go through the motions today but to come here and come forward to meet you And I pray right now in the name of Jesus that every one of them would just say in their heart what they want. Just say it. Maybe you're ashamed of it. Maybe you're you're afraid of it. Maybe, maybe, you know, you've never said it before, but would you just articulate it in your heart to God? Say what it is. What do you want? And then would you just in that moment just ask God, God, should I want that? Is that good? Would you just ask God right now, say, God, will you be my shepherd and give me everything I could want so that I don't want anymore and so that my soul can settle? Say, God, I come to you. I'm, I'm not blaming you. I'm not blaming anybody else. When you're my shepherd, I, I don't want. I pray in the name of Jesus that every person would start to experience this holistic filling, this this peace that can only come from us turning to Jesus in every area of our life all the time, daily, daily bread, living water. I just pray in the name of Jesus that every person here would start to experience the fullness and the tranquility of God being our shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can walk back to your seats.